We're just about halfway through the NBA season, and a few things are starting to become clear about the Phoenix Suns. We'll talk about three of them today, starting with a little bit of a reality check about the Suns at the trade deadline. Let's go. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we're back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past seven seasons, a writer at suns.com and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcasts. A big thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen here on this Tuesday. It is a Suns game day as the Sacramento Kings head to Phoenix tonight. We'll have thoughts on that to round out today's show. But if it is your first time finding us, hit follow. Hit subscribe, get a new show in your feed every single Monday through Friday. We're free and available everywhere, including YouTube. So when you hit that button, become an everydayer and get locked onto the Phoenix Suns right along with me all season long. We're going to touch on a few things that are starting to become clear about the Phoenix Suns. Personnel, leadership, and how they stack up in the Western Conference. And we'll hit on all three in detail. Today's show brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. Where I want to start the show is in trade land. All right, and that's sort of what uh, everybody's thinking about this time of year in the NBA. That is what all fans of all teams are starting to imagine. You know, Knicks fans, I guess, got a little bit of a head start on the rest of us with the OGN and Hobie deal kicking things off. The Pistons made a tiny move this week to get off of Marvin Bagley's salary, but that is where we are. So without being overly negative, because I've talked about plenty of options the Suns have and some ways I think they can really improve their team. And you can go back and listen to those shows in the feed, and I'll reference some of those moves as we go here. But this isn't meant to just rain on everybody's parade. I am just starting to see some Suns fans online treat this like a regular trade deadline. And for a lot of teams, it will be. But for the Phoenix Suns, this is far from a regular trade deadline, mostly because they do not have things to trade, okay? So when I see a list of, hey, the Suns need a wing, and here's all the wings around the league that they could get, and I'm seeing starting caliber players making, you know, 10, 15, 20 million dollars on those lists, we just got to reel it in a little bit, guys, okay? And I'm not, again, saying that just to, like, spend 10 minutes crapping on everybody's hopes and dreams, but if you're setting yourself up to expect or believe the Suns can get a player like that, you're just going to, you're just, you're living in a different reality. You're living in in la-la land. That's not possible. So let's talk about what is possible, okay? That's where I want to just iron things down. The Suns have two trade exceptions. One of them is $4.9 million. It expires February 9th from the Dario Saric deal. They have a second one that expires August 7th, that is worth $6.5 million, and that is from the Cameron Payne deal. Now, 
it's a little interesting, right, when it comes to that, because the Suns, with that second one, obviously, they can get more players. Duh, it's bigger. It has the ability to bring in players making more money, which means there's more players who fit into it and therefore more possibilities. But if you look at the date on it, because these things last about a year, I think exactly a year from when they are created, August 7th takes you all the way through (coughs) the entire summer, basically, right? All of the business that gets done in the NBA in early July, that is a time when the Suns might want to use that exception as well. Now, they'll obviously have their own first-round pick that they could trade on draft night. They have two of the three salaries that I'm about to list off that are at their disposal right now will be at their disposal again in the summer. And, you know, we can continue on from there, but the exception will be interesting to see. And the smaller one, of course, there's really not a lot of players that fit into it, and it's the type of player that we do not often see get traded, right? Most of the players who fit into that $4.9 million traded player exception are either minimum players who make 2 to $3 million, or they are players on rookie-scale contracts. Like, for instance, Washington has Corey Kispert. He's somebody who I could see them trading, but unlikely to trade him into another team's exception when, in reality, they probably want legitimate value back for somebody like Kispert, and that would go for any player like that. So what do the Suns have as that value? That's the next place to go, right? And I, you, you hear, and obviously if you look on a lot of websites that just have it all listed off, that the Suns have five second-round picks to trade. Now, that used to be six. They lost one in the Drew Eubanks investigation. Yes, remember, they tampered for Drew Eubanks and lost a pick. But I would even go so far as to say they really only have four. Because one of the second-round picks that the Suns acquired in all of their crazy trade protection... Uh, sorry pick swap deals is a Spurs pick in the second round this season that is protected 31 to 54, which means that it's top 25 protected in the second round. And if you obviously look a little closer at that, we know the Spurs are not going to be getting the 55th pick in the second round this season because they're bad and they're going to be getting a top five pick in the second round. So that's not really a draft pick. I don't really think it's been reported what happens if that pick does not convey this year, which it will not. Does it just go away? Does it hold on for longer? Does it have less protections over time? I don't think we know. At least I've dug up pretty deeply on that and can't find any articles that have it if anybody ever reported it. So I wouldn't count that as a real pick. And even if it were to be continue to be protected into the future in a similar way, I, I, it's just something that a, a team receiving it could never project to have any money, uh, to have it convey, right? So then we go to the, the players. If we assume the Suns basically have four second-round picks, what else do they have? Nasir Little, who's making $6.2 million plus three more seasons after this. 
$8.5 million of Grayson Allen's salary where that is expiring this year. And I have another thing I need to clean up. I have referenced the idea of extending Grayson Allen before a couple of different times. And what I miss, what I missed there because he made the very strange decision coming off of his rookie scale contract to only extend for two seasons. I believe that because he is only on a two year contract right now, he is unable to be extended. You have to have a contract at least three years in length to be eligible for an extension. So he is not. He is an expiring eight and a half million dollars. I would imagine that the Suns would love to trade for him, but or sorry, to re-sign him when they get him, and another team would as well, but that's an open question. Eight and a half million dollars. And then, of course, Yusuf Nurkic for $16.8 million plus two more seasons after this that go up. So, look, I don't think Yusuf Nurkic has a lot of value to other teams. I think that it's with his injury history and his limitations, a tough pill to swallow for any team. At that salary figure, you kind of need to be starting him, and not a lot of teams would sign up for starting him. So... I just don't think that that's going to happen. And frankly, he is pretty valuable to the Suns. I've talked about Nasir Little, something in the realm of a DeLon Wright type of trade. I have talked about the $6.5 million campaign trade exception, something in the realm of Jay Sean Tate for, uh, into that slot. And if you were to pull something like that off using your four seconds slash five with the fake one included, and could get Tate and, and Wright or players who are similar. To me, that is two rotation players that would supersede, you know, your Josh Kogis and in some matchups, maybe even your Eric Gordons, certainly your Bates Diop, your Metu, etc. They're smaller, they're not forwards, they are definitely guard slash wings, but those are two options. What I wanted to close with is options for the Sharich trade exception, the one that expires now, the one that the Suns have pressure to use, but that again is fairly limited. And I could only find three names. That is it. Three. One is Simone Fontecchio, who is starting for the Jazz right now, but has an expiring $3 million salary, is not the youngest guy, obviously, having come over from Europe to join that team. I want to get his age right. He is 28 already. So it's unclear if the Jazz would want to re-sign him, and he is a big shooter. He is a guy who can sometimes have games where he doesn't really do much in the box score, but a big shooter would help the Suns. And again, if you're sending a second or two out for that, okay. You know, again, you can't send a, a sec second round picks out with Little and for the Payne exception and for the Sharich exception because you only have four slash five, but that's one. Andre Drummond would be another. Bruno Fernando would be another to fill that backup big slot. But the point is... Suns fans, I think, need a reality check. You know, let's say they got Andre Drummond and they got those other two deals done, even with their limited assets. You're talking about Jay Sean Tate, DeLon Wright, Andre Drummond. Those are all bench players. Those are all guys who may or may not play in the playoff series, depending on who the matchup is, and guys who obviously have weaknesses in their game. The Suns are not getting a no-brainer home run pick of anybody in the NBA to upgrade their roster. They're getting players who can very specifically fit 
into those very specific parameters, and it's not going to be easy. Let's jump to leadership. Another thing becoming clear about this Phoenix Suns team. We'll get to it next. First, today's show brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is making therapy more accessible for everybody, and that is a mission that I think we can all get behind, but obviously one that we should all be willing to try out as well, because around New Year's, really every year, we all get obsessed with how to change ourselves and do this and try that instead of just expanding on what we're already doing right. And trust me, that is a much less pressurized goal to have. And I've been trying to have that mentality myself. I am in therapy currently. I'll go ahead and connect there. This is not something that needs to be related to trauma or negativity. It can be about just making the best version of yourself. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online to be designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire, get matched with a licensed therapist, and then switch therapists at any time if needed for no additional charge. BetterHelp wants to make it easy for you. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash NBA today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash NBA. All right, we are keeping it rolling. Let's talk leadership. Want to remind everybody first to sign up for Locked On Suns Insider Text Alerts, where you get my first reaction to all Suns news, exclusive game day content and observations sent straight to your phone, and video breakdowns each week with a private link sent out to only Locked On Suns insiders to watch a film breakdown of something in Suns land each week. Plus, one-on-one conversations, Via text message, you can respond directly to me. I basically go online and keep track of everything going on with the Suns so you don't have to. Sign up at the link in the show description below or visit joinsubtext.com slash LockedOnSuns to sign up. All right. Leadership. Do you know who I'm talking about? Can you guess who I'm talking about? Based on recent comments, it's Bradley Beal. It's Bradley Beal. There have been three comments that Beal has made. Two of them came after this, well, I would say three different games. The Lakers game, the Blazers game that just happened, and then the first game he was back this most recent time against Charlotte, which was a few weeks ago now. And they all demonstrated leadership in a different way. They all demonstrated Beal's willingness to sort of say what needs to be said publicly. Now, we'll get back to the publicly versus privately thing in a second, but I'll tell you what the quotes were. Against the Lakers, it was the idea of shooting threes, right? And that's something that Vogel has been emphasizing uh, publicly in his media availabilities and everything else. He's been saying it since his intro press conference that they want to shoot threes, a lot of them. And, or I guess since Beal's intro press conference, I should say. And, Beal said the same, that he is pushing himself to get uncomfortable and take those when they're there. Then, after the Blazers game, which was obviously a win, a double-digit win, they took care of business, they covered the point spread, whatever you want to look at, but was not uh, the most satisfying to the team or to Suns fans, I think. Beal said a couple of things that I think stand out. One was that they overcomplicate getting the ball to Kevin Durant late in games. All right. And I mean, that's what Brandon Duaneus and I talked about on Monday's show, you know, uh, in that 
fourth quarter especially, but in general, it's like they want to get a mismatch and they want to... It just sometimes is as simple as enter the ball to Durant any way you can and play off of the rotations that he's going to force the defense to make, the double team that's going to come, whatever it might be. Okay, thank you, Beal. That's exactly what we want to hear, right? And then the other one from last night was about the fourth quarters where he said, quote, that the Suns are too passive, too lax, too comfortable. And then he closed the quote by saying, and we got a guard. That's just what it is. That leads us to the first thing that we heard him say in this mold, which came after that Hornets game, which was calling the defense kind of trash, if you remember that one. I think that there is a chance that Beal is a piece of the leadership puzzle that maybe has been missing a little bit. Remember that he is older than Book. And I think, too, that, look, you've heard of the idea in movies, right, of the the character that's sort of a stand-in for the audience. A lot of the time that might be the kind of comedic, side plot or somebody who just sort of jumps in with something to break the tension, whatever it might be in a lot of like Marvel movies. It's whoever sort of the most human character is because there's so much alien monster space stuff going on. Bradley Beal is sort of the role player stand in on this team. If that makes sense, right? For a few reasons. One, he has had a frustrating season as well. He can at least connect with the idea of the pressure of needing to step up in order for the season to go the direction that it needs to go, right? We talked about it on Monday's recap show. Katie Bates Diop, there's a lot riding on him somehow against all odds and not a moment too soon, figuring it the F out, right? But you could say the same thing about Bradley Beal, despite him being a star player making a ton of money. The other reason, though, that I think it, it, can, it can work here is in terms of him being a leader and, and maybe having a bigger voice than we thought and, and helping settle some of this stuff into place is that he is sacrificing more than Durant or Booker. There is a level of aggressiveness that needs to be there, which is, again, what he sort of said in that quote about the fourth quarters and what Book said as well. But we know Beal is not going to have the level of usage and the role that he had on the Wizards when he was averaging 30-plus points per game. That's just not... There's just not enough possessions to go around. He's going to have to adjust. He's already defensively a lot of the time having to guard a quote-unquote better player than Book is, and that is its own form of sacrifice to say, okay, I'll take that matchup and I'll let our point guard take a load off on defense when he needs to. And that can connect, I think, with some of the other players on this team too, right? If I'm a... I mean, Gordon is somewhat of a leader on this team too, but if I'm an Eric Gordon... <clears throat> if I am Bates Diop, who is much more of a scorer 
on other teams. If I'm a Josh Akogi trying to accept playing just 10, 12, 15 minutes a night, Metu, who still, I think, sees himself as a kind of scorer guy and isn't that on this team, I can look at Bradley Beal and say that dude is adjusting and changing and sacrificing in order to get us where we want to go. Let me do that too. What I think needs to happen in order for my best case scenario that I sort of just mapped out to actually come to fruition though is that Beal needs to walk the walk. And it's early. He is, what, has he even played 10 games this season? He, he probably just cracked 10 games over the past couple. He has played now 15. So I'm willing to be patient with that. I'm willing to be patient with all of this within reason. You know, at some point it's got to hit, hit, hit its stride and Beal needs to as well. But at some point, if we're talking about him being a real leader here, that needs to come with him buckling down on defense, him not hesitating to get the ball to Durant or be aggressive, creating a great shot, even in the fourth quarter with a lead. Those things can't just be said. They need to be done. And I think that's maybe part of why Gordon isn't necessarily the guy that this team needs in that capacity because he's at a different phase of his career where he's going to have nights like last night where he doesn't really contribute much. And we know Book is more of a show than a tell type of leader, and Duran is definitely a show versus a tell leader. So if the Suns are going to look to Beal to be more of a tell leader, he also needs to show. It's It has to be both, and it's all on a spectrum, but I think Beal can be maybe more on that side of the spectrum if he really develops into his own over the course of this season. I recommend an article, and I'll put it in the show description so you can click on it if you want, from The Athletic about Beal, and I'll be quick here. Fred Katz, a while ago, did a great story on Brad being a leader and his relationship with Thomas Bryant and the season when they played together, how much he would lay into Thomas Bryant. And Bryant is on the record saying, no matter if we're on the court or off the court, we're good because we're never going to try and hurt each other. It's never personal with him. He wanted to bring more out of me, and I appreciate that because I needed it. You had Troy Brown, who is now on the Timberwolves, was on the Lakers last year, saying, I feel like Brad was being a leader. It's not anything with him trying to be disrespectful. He's just holding people accountable. We have to have leaders, and Brad is our leader, so there's nothing wrong with that. He went on to say, I feel like Brad is laid back, but he's not scared to yell at people when necessary. So I feel like when he does it when he needs to, but at the same time, he leads by example. He said, every once in a while, I'll catch myself if I feel like a guy's constantly picking on me, but at the end of the day, it's not about that with Beal. Beal then said, my teammates know I love them. They're, they know that I'm a fierce competitor. They know I want to win. I'm a perfectionist. These are all things you say to the media. I get it. I am the first to say it needs to be walking the walk and talking the talk. We are seeing Beal start to speak out. If he can have a great rest of the season and earn the respect of his teammates on top of their ear, I think he really could be somebody who factors into being a voice on this team in a way that they really miss while he was gone. The last thing that I want to cover 
as far as what we are learning about the Suns is how they respond to teams that can keep up with them on the offensive end. And they'll get a very good shot to do that against the Sacramento Kings on Tuesday night. So we'll preview that game in just one moment. First, today's show brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the Lockdown Podcast Network and the NFL season may be wrapping up in the next few weeks, but the offers are still rolling in from America's number one sports book, FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bucks straight to your account in bonus bets, win or lose. I'm looking at the NBA odds for Tuesday night. The Suns are four-point favorites at home. That is a little dicey. We have the Nuggets and the Sixers, the Clippers and the Thunder. A lot of great games on Tuesday night. I'm not sure I would lay any money on either one, if I'm being honest, but in the spirit of what we're about to talk about, the over-under for total points in Suns-Kings is 243. Maybe just drop a little money on the over. Root for a big shootout game at Footprint Center. No matter where you are, though, same game parlays, the Explore tab, the Parlay Hub, or just one of those straight-up bets. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to check it all out. FanDuel official partner of the NFL and the NBA. Let us close out this here show. Suns play the Kings tonight at 7 Pacific. Catch every basket on the hometown broadcast with John Bloom and Tim Kempton with Sirius XM or on the SXM app by searching Suns. Don't forget to also check the audio feed specifically for a preview show. The Suns made me want to rip my hair out, and it was the holidays, so I have been lagging and slacking on those, but I will be back with one on Tuesday afternoon to preview Suns Kings, so be looking in the audio feed for that. If you are normally a YouTube viewer, go find it on Apple or Spotify. Get a very, very quick, easy, digestible preview of the game on the audio feed. Let's talk about the Kings, though. The Suns have lost twice to Sacramento this season. December 8th at home, 114 to 108. De'Aaron Fox had 34 points. The Suns had a terrible third quarter. Josh Okogie played that game, and Fox still went off. And then the Kings starting lineup had 12 offensive rebounds. They also lost on December 28, 22nd, right before Christmas. Uh, really ugly hapless game from the Suns. They had 15 turnovers. Durant had seven. Nobody in the role player supporting cast could make a single freaking shot. And it might've been the low point of the Suns season. You'll remember that game as the one where Saban Lee and Udoka Azabuki finally played because Frank Vogel just said, screw it. I'm just trying everything. I'm throwing everything at the, at the wall here. So here's the thing. A few aspects of this that I want to point out. The Kings are a beatable team. The Kings have three bankable players every night in De'Aaron Fox, DeMontis Sabonis, and Malik Monk. The Suns do too, but the Suns' better three, three players are better than the Kings' three players, right? I mean, there's no way around that. That is a perfect example of why the Suns should be able to win these games, these types of games. However, they have really struggled when they go up against a team that can match them offensively. So if you get a 25 
to 30-point game from all three of those guys on Sacramento or even higher than that, you could be in for it. The Suns have quietly scored 127 in back-to-back games. They have scored 110-plus in five straight uh, six straight games, dating back to the Clippers' loss at home two weeks ago. So the offense is rounding into form, but, you know, that Clippers game is a perfect example. The Clippers scored 131. That's how they beat the Suns. The Hornets made it close with Rozier going off by scoring 119. Obviously, the Mavs on Christmas scored 128. A lot of those teams are not great and certainly not balanced. And when when the Suns faced Dallas, their defense was not very good. It's improved since. So it's been these teams that can match them offensively that have given the Suns trouble. The Kings can absolutely do that. One thing I would like to point out, though, is that the Suns are up to 15th in defense, even after that ugly Clippers game, the ugly Grizzlies game. And over the last two weeks, the Suns are 11th in defense, and that's over the course of seven games. So things have been trending in a solid direction. They're also up to ninth in transition defense, and they've been really solid after misses. Even after, even though teams try to punish them there. It feels like the scouting report on the Suns has maybe not caught up to the fact that they have cleaned up their transition defense since an ugly start to the season. So what does that all mean? It means that this is a perfect prove-it opportunity for the Suns. The Blazers game was a prove-it opportunity to just show that they could blow out a bad team. They didn't quite do that. The Lakers game was a prove-it opportunity to show that they could solve a stingy defense and a team that had their number. This is a prove-it opportunity to show, hey, we can maybe provide a little more resistance against a good offense than we've shown before. We can go up against a team that has some scoring power and our ability to score 110 plus every night, 130 plus on our best nights is really damn hard to beat. And let us show you why. And of course, it's a proven opportunity to win a freaking game at home. I mean, you know, it'd be nice. The Suns are somehow still just 11 and 11 at home. They have this game. And then over the weekend, they have a back-to-back against Indiana and Chicago. And Tyrese Halliburton is hurt. Win all three. Give yourself 14 and 11 at home. See if you can go on the road and beat a very feisty Pelicans team on Friday. If you lose that one, whatever. You're supposed to rack up wins against beatable teams at home. That's what good teams do. That is how most teams cushion themselves. And the Suns should not be any exception to that. So a lot of different ways to slice this game. This team has beaten you twice. Get back on track. Go above 500 at home. Prove that your defense is improving. Prove that your offense is unstoppable. And that the improvements you've made overall with Beal back in the lineup, with the rotation starting to take shape, are legit. Check back for that preview show on Tuesday. Don't forget to sign up for Locked on Suns Insider Text Alerts so I can give you all the Suns info you need that you never 
even realized was out there, plus video breakdowns and analysis and more each week. And I will catch you guys all post-game after Suns Kings.